Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah. All right. Well, this is our third week to breathe in the pure air of a simple gospel. We've said that um, God has provided a way of salvation for man through his son, Jesus Christ. And every week, most of us are in agreement with that. Would you guys say that's true? God has provided a way of salvation for man through his son, Jesus Christ. And what we've been doing is, is kind of taking a look at the three main components of that statement. Looking at God, looking at man, looking at Jesus. And when I say God, I said this last week, when I say God, I mean God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, lest anyone think we might be leaving the Holy Spirit out of that. We're not. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit today. But God provided a way of salvation for man through his son, Jesus Christ. Week one, we talked about God's role in the gospel, about how God is great and how God is good. The second week, we talked about Jesus's role in the gospel. We focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We talked about how Jesus is God's salvation. His name, Yeshua, literally means God saves or salvation of God. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on man's role in the gospel. And I think one of the best ways to, to start out with that is something that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Before we go any further, let's just read this. If you want to turn there, you can. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. So, bottom line, what he's saying is salvation is the work of his hands, not ours. If you were here last week, you know we talked quite a bit about that. Salvation, our victory over sin and death, what he has done for us is the work of his hands, not ours. Okay, I want to precede all of that just in case you weren't here and, and didn't get the backstory on that. But I would say for man, our role, first and foremost, is this. Believing in Christ, receiving his grace, and relieving our hearts. I actually did a whole Sunday on those three things several, several months ago. The first part of our role is believing in Christ. And there's all kinds of scriptures that we can read. For the sake of time, I'm going to read this one. Mark 1. This is Jesus' words. Mark 1, verse 15. He says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. That's, that's the first part of our, of, of our role is there is believing. And then he, then he says in Romans, uh, this is Paul, Romans 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 24. He says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So we're talking about receiving his grace. Believing in Christ, receiving his grace and the third one was relieving our hearts. And I'm going to read Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So in believing in Jesus Christ comes a peace. There is an internal peace that comes. Then he goes on to say, So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And I was thinking this week, you know, it's the abounding in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that most Christians are missing out. Most Christians kind of stop at the relieve their hearts kind of thing. And what I mean by that is there's this, you know, man, am I relieved that I'm going to heaven and I'm not going to hell? And that's kind of the extent of their walk with God. That's the extent of their faith. That's their extent of their acknowledgement of our Savior. And I'm not saying that that's not important. Obviously, that component, that eternity, uh, is a huge part of salvation. The reward for the righteous who live by faith in Jesus Christ, heaven, (laughs) eternity with God versus eternity without God. Eternal death, separation from God, and suffering for the unrighteous who live by, um, for lack of a better word to say it, self. Their reward would be, would be hell. And I know there's a, a, a lot of debates going right now about that. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And um, so in case you were wondering what, where Soma stands on that, there is a heaven and there is a hell. The righteous will be rewarded. And the unrighteous, they, they will receive a reward as well. It'll just not be near as cool. Literally. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. I don't mean to downplay that because I know it is a serious issue. But um, anyway, so. Well, let's just jump in uh, by saying this. When it comes to um, the gospel, a couple of things that I really rejoice in and I thank the Lord for um, in, in all my prayers and as I worship, I try to, I try to acknowledge these two things. And, and you guys remember, we're taking a simple approach to the gospel here. It's like, can we narrow it down in, in manageable um, deals? Not that we shouldn't dive into it later, but for the sake of this series. And I want you to write this statement down if you're writing things down today. Two things that I'm grateful for. One is that God has changed my position. God changes our position and empowers us through the Holy Spirit to change our condition. Let me say it again. God changes our position and he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to change our condition. Let me tell you what I mean by that. First of all, your position, our position in Jesus Christ. What that means is we are no longer far off from God. I once was over here far away, but because of his blood, I have been brought near. I used to be here. Now I'm here. I used to be far away. Now I am close to God. My position with God has changed because of the work, because of the blood that was shed upon the cross at Calvary. We have been reconciled to God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18 real quick. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And if you look at Romans 5.8, and if you're writing, I know I'm moving fast, but you're welcome to write these things down. Romans 5.8 I mean, 5.10 says, When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. While we were still enemies, He reconciled us to God. That's one of my boys' uh, scriptures 
this week's scripture was Romans 5 eight. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And his death reconciled us and brought us near to God. Another way you could say that is uh, uh, redemption. That's probably the most common word. He has redeemed us back to himself. Last week we talked about how Jesus purchased us, how he paid the debt. So God changes our position. That's one of the things that he does. He changes us from, he takes us from here to here. And another thing that he does is he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to change our condition. Now, here's what I mean when I say our condition. My addiction to self, which leads to sin, which will lead me to death. Isn't that what James says in James chapter 1? Remember what it says? It says, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And it's talking about spiritual death. It can talk about literal death. Speaking of separation, what all does that mean? You know, any kind of separation God, whether it's from God, whether it's in this life or the next life or whatever, stinks, doesn't it? Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. My addiction to self, which leads me to sin, will lead me to death. That's my condition. I'm obsessed with self. I'm obsessed with uh, the lust of my flesh, the desires, what I want, even when it doesn't line up with God's word. I'm obsessed with with getting my way. I'm obsessed with doing things uh, with my own hands rather than relying on his hands and his strength. Am I the only one that has that addiction in this room? That's my condition. I want you to turn to uh, Ephesians 4, 17. We're going to read through verse 32. And the label above this section is called the Christian walk. In verse 17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their hearts. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you didn't learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, lay aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, 
but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, or just as Christ also has forgiven you. I don't know if you guys noticed in this. We, I know we read a lot. But if you look back, there's several things that it says that, that, that piques my interest. I mean, several things. First, it says, you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. You lay aside your old self. You be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He says, you Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness. And then it goes on to say that if you do not do this, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And if you look over real quick, just real quick, I have it marked in my Bible, so I'm actually going to just go ahead and go there. It's Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, powers, and we know the rest of that verse. My challenge this morning is this. Sometimes we feel like God is supposed to do all the work. That if I am not making strides in my faith, somehow... God is not pulling his end of the the deal. Or God is failing me. A lot of us have felt this way. You know, why am I not changing? And a lot of times it's it's because, I don't don't know how else to say it, but like like maybe a bad doctrine. You look at this and Paul is, is totally telling us, you have some things to do. Now remember what I said. God changes our position. He has done a great and mighty work. And He has given us His Holy Spirit. He has empowered us through His Holy Spirit to change our condition. Now, please don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that I have the power to change my own self. That's a freaky kind of a thing to say. What I'm saying is that Scripture tells us that God has given us the power to address the condition in our life. Yes, He has died on the cross. He has won victory over sin and death. We know that. But he also sent his Holy Spirit. And what does the scriptures tell us the Holy Spirit is? He is our helper. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. The word says that he is our guide. What what do we need a helper for? Because we're working through some of the stuff. You know, I always used to say, when I was a youth pastor, I always used to tell the kids, and I've probably said it around here before too, that when I got saved, I know that my position changed. There's a whole lot about me that didn't change. I know that my sins were forgiven, that I was washed clean from that moment on. But the difficult thing is that my memory wasn't erased. The problem is, is I still have vivid memories of things I've done, things I've seen, 
things that have been done to me, different things that make up um, um, who I am. And not all of those things are good things, good things that you want to work through and work out of your life according to Scripture. And if I don't understand that, that my hands do have work to do in this thing, then I'm going to be pretty bitter at God. There's just going to be this circle of frustration with God. Why? Because we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. We don't understand um, his role in this thing, and we don't understand really our role in this thing. And so, you know, a lot of people think that God is, is going to mysteriously rid them of their condition. <laughs> it's called selfishness. It's called flesh. And he has provided a way for us to have victory over that, but we still have things to do. And when he doesn't do it for us, when he doesn't do it, he gets the blame. I've done this a lot of times, early on especially, just blaming God. God, why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still doing this? I'm so frustrated. He gets the blame. And then what I do is I give myself permission to go ahead and continue with what I'm doing. Rather than understanding, hey, listen, Tony, you, you, you got some work to do. I was even thinking yesterday, I spent a lot of time, um, Melissa and I are going to be building a, a chicken coop, you know, and a chicken run. We're going to raise some eggs and eat them and throw them at cars. No, we're not going to do that. Those are things you do as a teenager. See, I have a condition. <laughs> I'm trying to get over that. But, you know, I was out there and I thought, okay, just even in light of some of the things that we've been talking about at Soma the past few weeks. It's like, I have this portion of land. And, you know, I've had it for, Melissa and I have lived there eight, nine years. And, you know, you have things you want to do. And we've always wanted to do chickens. And we've always wanted to do goats. And, you know, all those kinds of things. You know, giraffes. The things that really <laughs> narrow your, you know, can read away at your roughage. We talk about it. And we talk about it. And we talk about it. And we talk about it. Now, I don't know who we thought was going to come and get our land ready for that. You know what I mean? And yesterday, me and my boys, we were out raking, and we had a machete, a machete, and we're cutting, and we're slicing, and we're raking, and we're pushing, and we're hoeing, and we're shoveling, and we're burning leaves, and we're cutting thorns, and we're cutting thistles, and all this stuff. And in the middle of it, I was like, oh my gosh. I asked my wife, I was like, I got to go lay down. I just crashed on the trampoline. You know, and the boys get on it, and you're bouncing water. I was exhausted. It was a lot of work just to prepare a little bit of ground for some chickens. But I was thinking, you know what? Who, who? Yeah, I'm tired. It's a lot of work. But who's, who's supposed to do this? This is my piece of land. I own this land. This, is, this land has been given to me. You know, well, I paid for it, but you know what I mean. Who else? I mean, I guess I could go pay somebody to work my land. But there's something about understanding. It's like, wow, I have a goal. I have a vision for what this could be. I have a dream of, of what this could be. It sounds awfully dramatic. I'm just talking about chickens. But track with me. The truth is, and this is such a practical thing, it's like, you know what? I guess I could sit around and just, Lord... Cut those thistles. The thorns, Lord, focus on the thorns. Again, I'm being melodramatic. Too much coffee. 
But you know what the truth is? I got some work to do. I got a rake, I got a hoe, I got a shovel, I got a machete. Had a lighter to burn some of the leaves and all this stuff. I had the tools to do it, but for however many years I was refusing to use those tools. All the while complaining, when are we going to get our chickens? Well, where do you think they're going to come from? And who's going to work the land and get all that stuff? You guys tracking with me? Man, it really is the same way in our walk with the Lord. You know, turn real quick to um, to uh, first, uh, no, Second Peter. And man, I, I know I, I quote this a lot. We're going to look at a little bit more of it. I just thought about something too with uh, Ephesians six. Go ahead and put your your, your um, finger at Second Peter chapter one, and then turn back to Ephesians six. Maybe we'll come back to there. Now listen, when I, when I saw this and understood this years ago, it changed everything. And I'm telling you, it changed my perspective. It changed my understanding. And I want to tell you what, sin began to decrease in my life. Okay? Sin really is the issue, right? Where does it come from? For our own desires, the lust of our flesh. That's our condition. That's the problem. Okay? And if I don't address it, and I just keep going that revolving door. So let's look at it. Simon Peter, a bondservant of the apostle, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, this is where it's going to get good. Seeing that, His divine power has granted to us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Now let's just look real quick. And if you have a Bible, you want to, I don't know how, what your version says. Mine says his divine, has, divine power has granted. Some of your ver- versions say his divine power has given us. I want you to circle that word give or granted. And you look in the, the original of that word and what it basically means is to present. Here's the, here's the deal. God has presented us with the tools necessary for life and godliness. You guys see that? Who presented them to us? Who has presented us with the tools? God. It says His divine power. I think it's speaking of the gospel. I think it's pointing to the Holy Spirit. The fact that we're filled with the very same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit inside us. He has granted us, He has presented us with everything pertaining to life and godliness. And I love the way, I don't know if you guys ever peruse the message version of the Bible. I like it. Sometimes it's good to see how Eugene Peterson words things. Here's what he says. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us. I love that. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything to address our condition has been given to us. So go address your condition. Look what he says in verse 4. 
For by these he has granted us, there's the word again, he has presented to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I want to pause right there because look what it's saying. Saying the same thing. He has he has presented us with everything that we need. In fact, let's go ahead and look at verse five. It says, now for this reason, because you've been presented with this, since you've been presented with the tools that you need, since God has done this this marvelous thing, look what he says. For this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply, and then he goes on to list all these things. Supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your uh, perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I just can't, I can't get over that. It says, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. It seems to indicate that I have a responsibility in this thing. In fact, if you look at the words here, and I know I'm going to get geeky on you for a second. It says, for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Here's what that means in the original language. The word applying means to contribute. In other words, George has, has, um, has put something in the pot. Now you contribute something to the pot. In fact, it says to contribute all diligence. Diligence means, you know, basically extreme effort. He's basically saying for this reason, since you've been presented with something, it's great, it's divine power. You've been presented with something. It says now you contribute some effort. In fact, he goes on to say in your faith, supply. And then of course he goes into the list of stuff. And that word supply is some of your versions say add to. It also means to present. And I'm just, I'm hearing this and I'm reading this and it looks to me as though he presents to us the gift of the gospel, which includes the wonderful Holy Spirit, the power of God, same power that raised Christ from the dead, all these things that we know about the Holy Spirit. He presents to us that gift of the gospel And we, what it seems to be saying to me, we present back to him and to others godliness. Our reflection of his character. Now, it all comes back to what he was saying in Ephesians 2. You know, um, it's by grace, through faith and all that. Lest any man boast, there's nothing that I can do, but I do remember Paul's words. You know, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in Christ. In other words, if I am free from this sin, because I've really taken the time to um, fast and pray, and like Paul said, buffet my body so that it doesn't take hold of me. If I've done those things and there's levels of freedom from that sin, listen, I understand it's not my hands that did that. Right? We understand that. That's what Paul's saying. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in Christ. Why? Because he, is, he has given us 
a new position, and he's empowered us by way of the Holy Spirit to address our condition. In other words, when I leave this place, I've got to be aware, I've got to be conscious, and I have to address. You know, my eyes see something that, that causes me to want to lust. I consciously look away. The Word says if you need to cut your eye out, do what you got to do. He doesn't say, well, just wait, and maybe it'll go away. Listen, there's instruction after instruction after instruction that we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I know when Paul wrote that, he's talking about trials and difficulties and persevering through difficult times. I I get that. But couldn't my uh, struggle over this sin or that sin, couldn't couldn't that be involved in that all things? Couldn't Christ give me strength to overcome this issue or this issue or this issue? The bigger reality is he has given me the power to do that. He has given me the strength to do that. I'm just not doing anything. You know, when it comes to sin, I'm getting a little intense. Sorry. I guess it's because I've worked so hard on a lot of areas and I've seen fruit. There's other areas we're working so hard on and I'm looking forward to some fruit. Are you guys with me on that one? I get intense about it because there's a lot of stinking work gone into the last 15 years of my walk with the Lord. And there's freedoms that I'm experiencing now through Christ Jesus. Thank Him and thank Him alone. Amen? I get impassioned about it because I see so many people walking for lack of a better word, according to their self. You know, Scripture says that in the last days, that's what people are going to love the most. What? Their self. Now, we talk a lot about that right here, and I'm probably going to run some people off. You know, all the selfish people will never come back again. But you guys, isn't it true? Nobody's going to get out there and chop away my thorns and my thistles? Paul said, I do that. I buffet my body and make it come under submission to me. That's what he says. And there's all kinds of, in in the epistles, he's saying stuff like that all the time. He's talking about training, running the race in such a way as to win, not sitting back. I hope somebody wins this race for me. Listen, the race has been won in the sense that Jesus Christ has done a marvelous work on the cross. And that he went away so that each one of us could be filled with the power that allowed him to do that wonderful work. That's a better deal. And Jesus even said that. You know what? Right now the spirit of truth is is with you. I'm here. But very soon we'll be in you. And in Acts, he says, wait for that gift. Wait for the gift that my Father has promised. Wait for that gift. Talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, when we don't understand that, we will have a one-sided relationship with God. And a one-sided relationship always ends up in frustration. Listen, God knows where he stands. He knows what he's accomplished. 
He knows what he's put before us. Amen? It's usually that we don't know where we stand. And I think at times that grieves the Holy Spirit because we essentially choose to reflect sin and self instead of reflecting you know, righteousness and reconciliation. Because we've been reconciled, we've been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation. So a lot of my, a lot of times, and, and you can put this up on the screen. This is a lot of times my prayers on a, on a personal level. I'll let you in to my little secret. Lord, thank you for my new position. I couldn't have done that on my own. Like we talked about last week. That is the work of Yeshua. That I have been brought near to God by his blood. I could never, there's no works, there's no amount of work that I could possibly do to accomplish that feat. But according to scripture, even, even uh, Ephesians 6.10, let's go back there. I, was, I said we would. Would. Did you hear that? That was Texan. This is when he talks about the armor of God. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind put, might put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He says you put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. But I want to show you something. I shared this years ago, but there's two statements that show me that, that what we're talking about is a reality. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Those are two different things. Be strong in the Lord. That word is, um, uh, it comes from the word that we get power or, you know, like when we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the dunamis, it's like endunamo-o-o-o or something like that. And what it means is endued with strength or endued with power. It's basically saying our dependence upon Christ in us, the Holy Spirit. Finally, be strong in the Lord. You be strong in the Lord. Be endued with power. What power? The Holy Spirit. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says it all the time. Be continually filled. Why? Because we need it. We can't get it done without it. If we're empty, we're losing. If we're filled, we're winning. And then look what he says. And in the strength of his might. It's a totally different word. Kratos or Kratos. And what it means is a work of power. It's just stating a work of power. And since it says his might, he's talking about his work of power right there in one sentence. As Paul is encouraging the saints to stand firm against the devil, he says, finally, listen, and this is after all that he's written in Ephesians 4 and in Ephesians 5. He says, finally, listen, 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 listen. Be strong in the Lord. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be endued with power and strength. Depend upon Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, the hope of glory, and in the strength of of his might. And then he says, put on the full armor of God. Part of the strength of his might, part of what he has provided for us, Ephesians 6, is armor. Who's supposed to put it on? Listen, he says, you put on the armor of God. You do that. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I don't know if you guys think about 
about that thought very much. Sometimes we, we venture again into that la-la land of, of, Lord, do something. Lord, do something. He has done something. He is doing something. We just don't understand that we've got to get the clippers after the thistles and the thorns. Does that resonate with anyone this morning? Here's the truth. A lot of it is that, that we're just lazy to address our sins. Are you kidding? The, you know, what does it say? I think I have it written down here. I forgot about this. Um, in Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. Sounds just like the stuff I had to clear out to get my chicken coop going. You know? Who's supposed to address those things that easily entangle? We are. And we're able to do it successfully because Christ in us, He gives us strength to do all these things. Amen? Let's stand.